We were born unto a love for the brethren, born unto being different. That's why it's so strange when someone doesn't change. Yes, we sin. If we say we have no sin, we're liars, right? That's what God says through First John. But we should be growing steadily and slowly. We should be changing. We should be trusting the Lord more. Thanks for joining us for this Friday edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. Greg, today we begin a three-part detour from our study in Nehemiah to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Yes, we do, Dave, and yet it's really not a detour. You see, I'm convinced that this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 will help us greatly in our upcoming study of Nehemiah chapter 8. So turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 2. Well, thanks, Greg, and as always, if you have to miss a portion of today's broadcast, you can hear this entire program online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Well, in many churches these days, we have really what I would say is a pandemic or an epidemic of epic proportions, where Sunday after Sunday, those who claim to be evangelical Christians, congregations have babies that cry out for milk, and pastors give them the basics every week, maybe sound, maybe accurate, but just a little bit every week. And these believers never, never grow. And pastors ignore their blatant immaturity. Or some, because the words not even being brought forth are not even convicted, and you have non-believers in there who are just fine with what they're hearing. I was looking at a church website of someone who was looking for a church this week, and I turned on the sermon. 26 minutes. I mean, I can barely start talking in 26 minutes. You know, you can't get forth the Word of God in 26 minutes. And half of what this guy was doing was stories and things like that. It was really sad. But it was sound, but it was wrong. You know, there are sins of commission where we commit sin. There are sins of omission. For a pastor to omit preaching the Word of God is a great sin. It's of great evil. And so it really grieved my heart. And I thought about it because I've been thinking about the passage that we're in in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, we're not going to look at specifically today, but we're going to prep for it. We're going to take a look for what we're going to see there. But it was all about, as we will see, the restoration of this group of believers and the building up of the spiritual wall, per se, of the believers, the house, the body of Christ. We will see in the New Testament, they were Old Testament believers, is done through the Word of God. But it's got to be brought forth rightly, and it has to also be, as we will see, yearned for and responded to. Some people are in really good churches hearing the Word of God, and they're being fed, and they are not changing. Something is wrong. It's interesting, over much time having pastored, looking at people year after year, not changing, not growing in their faith. Something very wrong. I think we saw that in some of the groups that had left here. Not going the same person, nothing has changed, the same struggle, same thing, never maturing in Christ. Something's wrong. And if you think about it, you know, if, if you are a grown adult and you are still wanting the baby stuff, something's wrong. You know, there's a formula shortage, they say, but maybe there's adults drinking formula, I don't know. But the reality is that's how crazy that would be, right? We should be maturing and growing in the Word of God. 
Now, we're going to see a passage today where we're going to see how to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And within this passage, it's going to talk about milk, but it's going to be a different metaphor. It's not going to be milk as for the immature. It's going to be speaking of the desire that a child has when it's born for milk should be the same desire we have now as believers for God's word. And I believe we're going to see the first step, which we look at Nehemiah, which is to yearn for the word of God, to long for it. I read that passage earlier in Nehemiah. The people actually asked for Ezra. Praise the Lord for that. He set his mind to study the word, to do it, and then to teach it to God's people, Ezra 7.10, and now they're calling for him. Praise the Lord. They want to hear the word of God. And we're going to see from that yearning for the word of God, then God takes that as they hear it and as they understand and then obey, and he changes this group of people. So we're going to see that step today. So turn with me in your Bibles to... First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to see that we should be longing for the word. We should have a desire for it. We should want to hear it, not as a sweet song that tickles our ears, you know, like going to a show, but actually because we love the Lord and we know we need it. It's our spiritual food. We need Jesus. We need his word, right? Okay, First Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3. And now the Apostle Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor. They are those who are about to go under a great ordeal. They're going to suffer greatly under the hand of Nero. The surprising persecution is going to come upon them. A fiery ordeal is going to come upon them. And Peter's preparing them. He's sharing that they are aliens and sojourners, having been chosen. Uh, Chosen sojourners. We're just walking through this world for a time. This isn't our home. And then he shares the great salvation that they have, that we bless God who caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, that is reserved for us in heaven. And therefore, in the trials, we greatly rejoice because we know what God is doing through the testing or proving of our faith. And that will bring about great rejoicing and joy when we see him and we rejoice even right now. And then we see in chapter 1 the applications of our salvation that we are to be holy because he's holy. And that we are to fear the Lord because of the great price that is paid for our salvation. And that because we've been born again, we've been born again unto a love for the brethren. Okay, so being holy, fearing God, and loving the body of Christ. We're going to see that. And so from that point, we come to the means in which God uses to cause us to be changed, to be built up like a spiritual house being built up so that we will be more holy. We're holy in position, we're saints, but holy in practice, that we will be those who fear the Lord more because we understand and we revere the Father who impartially judges according to each man's work, right? And our sins have been covered through the blood of Christ. And that we are to, having been saved, saved unto something, as we'll see, a a love of the brethren. We've been saved unto that. And so we have this tremendous passage that comes on the heels of a passage on how we became believers. Wonderful passage. Let's take a look at this. And I'm going to back up a little bit, not as far as I want to go. I'm going to go to the third piece. I said holiness, right? Then I talked about fear of the Lord, and I talked about love of the brethren. So let's look at the love of the brethren, move forward from that part into our passage. 
Look back at chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere, really unto a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Hey, since you got saved unto loving your brothers and sisters, love from the heart, sincerely, right? Fervently. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. God's word, the gospel, as we see, preached to you. And having heard that, we were born again. We were born again of a seed that was imperishable, of the word of God. And we were born unto a love, the brethren, born unto being different. That's why it's so strange when someone doesn't change. Yes, we sin. We all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're liars, right? That's what God says through First John, right? But we should be growing steadily and slowly. We should be changing. We should be trusting the Lord more. We heard that song, Oh, to trust Him more. That should be our desire. It should be for the Word of God. And so here we come to our passage. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and all envy and all slander, like newborn babes, this is a metaphor, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So how do we grow in our relationship with Christ? You know, you can say, well, it's through the word, and yes, you're right. But there needs to be something associated with that. There needs to be a right heart on the receiver side. There needs to be a right heart, which we're going to see, first of all, has to do with a yearning, a yearning for the truth of God, a yearning for that. Notice we have in our passage a therefore, therefore, putting aside a mouse. And notice we have this first portion, putting aside. That's a participle. It doesn't stand by itself. If I say, putting aside the trash, you're waiting for what else I'm going to say. It's not complete, right? Well, he's going to say, therefore, putting this stuff aside, long for the pure milk of the word. The term long for is the main phrase. Putting aside this, or really literally having put it aside, long for this. That's the key. That's what brings us together. And secondly, notice there is a therefore there. And so there's a connection to what we just read. And what have we just read? We read about the fact that we have, in obedience to the truth, purified our souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. We were saved unto a genuine, now this word sincere, we'll see it later on, it is an unhypocritical love. The word sincere is really the word hypocrisos with a negation to it. So if you're sincere, you're not a hypocrite. There's some people who love in the body of Christ, and they are such hypocrites. They are such hypocrites. He said we got saved unto a non-hypocritical love, a sincere love, and so we're to fervently love one another from the heart because... We've been born again. You know, in the 70s, that was a big thing. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Yeah, well, that's true. It's biblical. It's right. And here we see that we were born again. We were made new. We were regenerated. Anaganeo, born again, to begat again. We were brought into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. We were born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we were born again through this means. Born again through not a seed of perishable, but imperishable. And he talks about it through the living and abiding word of God. It lives and it remains. It's not going anywhere. It's eternal, right? It lives. It's alive. It's God's word. And he says, all flesh is like grass. Hey, we're all dying. You know, we're going to go back into the ground, just like the grass is green and all of a sudden it's dead, right? And so here, in the glory of the grass, like the flower of the grass, the grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides or remains forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. They heard the gospel. They heard the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The truth concerning Jesus Christ, God who took on human flesh, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And that through faith in him, we have salvation from our sins. And so then we were saved unto a love of the brethren. So we're to fervently love. Hey, if that's your purpose, it's like the car was made to drive. Then drive, right? You know, that's what it was made for. We were saved to love. So love, right? So love. And that comes through abiding in Christ. We love because he first loved us. And so notice as we come to our passage then, therefore, therefore in light of the reality that you are born again, that you are of an imperishable seed that is eternal, you are born again of the word of God, Therefore, because of that, then you should be putting aside and longing for something. And we're going to see you should be longing for the word, which actually we grow in respect to salvation. If God's word was what he used to save you, to make you from death to life, it's God's word he uses to grow you in respect to salvation. But there needs to be something on your side. And that's this interesting statement that we're going to see, this idea of longing. And that's what I noticed and observed in Nehemiah is that they asked Ezra to come bring the word. Nehemiah didn't say, okay, Ezra, you're going to go bring the word. We'll set all this up. They desired the word of God. They desired the word of God. And that's the first thing we're going to see. And so notice now in our passage, there's some qualifications that need to be met in the context of longing for the word of God. Notice what he says. Therefore, putting aside all malice, notice where the alls are placed, it's interesting, and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. So we have to have had something done. It literally is in an aorist tense. It's like either it could be this way, just do it, or literally having already done it. So if you haven't done it, you do it, and then it's done, right? These things are things that should no longer be part of a believer's life. They should be gone, having done, having, as we'll see, put them aside, put them all aside. And so the implication is that if we don't put these aside, we're not going to be longing for the Word of God. Or if we do, something's not going to be right and we will not grow in respect to salvation, and we may just be those who haven't tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's really the implication. So we want to put these aside. So that's the first thing here. Therefore, putting aside, it's an aorist middle participle. Aorist speaks of a completed action. In a command, it can also speak of just complete it. The middle voice emphasizes the your action, your reflective action. You're doing it. 
And so in the context of longing, we should have been putting aside these things, or put aside. Now the term putting aside speaks of taking off or laying aside a garment, of getting rid of something, putting aside your trash out front, or taking off whatever it is. You're putting it away from you, right? It's not connected to you anymore, right? And so we see it speaks of getting rid of something. And so therefore, notice what he says. There's some modifiers here. When I first looked at this, I was wondering, okay, this is what we need to do. We study the Word of God, ask questions of the text. Why is there an all in the first word, then an all in the last one, and then three together with no alls in between? What's going on there? And then another thing, why doesn't he say, get rid of, you know, anger? You know, well, malice, we're going to see, has some of that in it. Why doesn't he say, get rid of worry? Why does he say other sins? Get rid of immorality. Why doesn't he say, get rid of other sins? Why these sins? And that struck me as I was thinking, why this list here? Why this list here? Well, I think we're going to see that this list has to do with the things that are antithetical to a sincere love of the brethren. I think these things, if they're not here, you are not functioning in the purpose and the context of how God has saved you. He saved you into a sincere love of the brethren, an unhypocritical love. And if this stuff is going on, that ain't happening. So that needs to be set aside. And we know later on we'll see that we once lived in all these things, right? That's the way we lived. But we should, as believers, have said, this is yuck stuff. Set it aside. I don't want to live that way anymore. That's wrong. God has convicted our hearts, right? Okay? So here he talks about all malice on all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. So starting out, notice he says all malice. That speaks of evil or wickedness. Now, in context, it seems to take the sense of evil or wickedness towards someone else. An evil disposition to harm others or to see others harmed or to be happy if someone is harmed. It's an evil disposition that stems from one's selfish desires. Someone does something to you as a non-believer or in the flesh, we want something to happen to them. That's malice. It could be revenge also, right? It's malice. It's evil. It's an evil disposition. It's internally when we feel a desire that people would be harmed because our desires have been thwarted. That's usually what happens. Our will has been thwarted. Now, love's the opposite. Not my will, but thy will be done. Love is the opposite. So our desires are not in the way when we're loving. But when we're not loving, our desires are, boy, they are big in the way. They get all kind of camouflaged and changed when we're believers, right? We kind of make our desires into spiritual desires or whatever it might be. But we need to have his desire. So then, first of all, we need to get rid of all malice. It's that evil towards others. Little malice, big malice. It's how we used to live. It's how we spend our lives. Paul will say in Titus chapter 3 that we used to live our lives in malice. We used to live that way. And that's how the world is. You know, you get in the way of people's will, and their demeanor changes. It's interesting, you talk to non-believers, and they're so nice and kind and this and that, and then somehow something comes up that totally contradicts their will and what they're about, and boom, there's a switch, right? Boom, all of a sudden, the malice is ready to come pouring out in the demeanor. You can see that sometimes. Some people are hypocrites can hide it pretty well. But we, as believers, are to have put aside all malice, not any malice at all. It should be put aside. Having put it aside long for the word, malice, not a part of our lives. 
confess if you have had that attitudes, if you're tempted. Not saying we're not going to be tempted, but no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful to provide a way of escape that we might endure it. So, therefore, putting aside all malice, throwing that garment of malice off you and not grabbing it and putting it back on, right? Putting aside all malice. Also, if you've had it and you haven't confessed it, confess. We have a great God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What a great God we have. We are the forgiven. We are the redeemed. Wow, we are so blessed. We should be thanking God all day long. Praise the Lord for what he's done. Okay, so put that aside. But then notice he says, all guile. And then there's no all after hypocrisy and no all after envy. And you've got to say, hmm, why these three together? Well, I think it's because they're all closely related. So malice is kind of a category. Then you've got guile, hypocrisy, and envy. They kind of work together. And then you got slander after that. Okay, you got evil speech, you got evil malice in the beginning, right? And then you got kind of this falsehood and an internal drive to have things different or to hurt people in a sense if they do well. And so here, first of all, he says all guile, hypocrisy, and envy. And I think, as I mentioned, that this whole group, that it's a group, so we'll kind of see how they're related as we go along here. But the first one is guile. Do you remember the Lord Jesus when he saw Philip, I think it was? What did he say? An Israelite in whom there's no guile, right? That's an anomaly. All these guys are full of guile, right? Well, what is guile? Guile could be translated in other versions, deceit. It literally speaks of bait. You know, when you go fishing, you put bait on the hook, right? And you are trying to deceive the little fish to think he's going to get a meal. But really, he's going to be your meal, right? You're baiting him. It is deception, right? That's why you have the word bait, like for fish. It's deception. You're tricking the fish, right? And so here, we believers should not have any guile, where we are deceptive in what we're doing, where we are trying to bait people in a way so that we can get our will in our ways, whether it's religiously. The Pharisees, they were full of guile, and they were very religious, right? We're to put away all guile. We're to put it all away. It's a characteristic of what we were before we came to Christ. It's completely opposite to love. Self-love, really, what it is. And then notice, we were to get rid of all of it. No more guile in our lives. You shouldn't be a phony, baloney guy, you know, trying to deceive people with your actions. That's not any place for believers. Put it aside, right? Throw it off. Having thrown it off. The implication is you did throw it off, right? Then what's the next one here? Hypocrisy. Or literally, hypocrisy is plural. Kind of interesting. It comes from the Greek word hypokrisos. It's like the word hypokritos. And it came from the idea of the Greek theater. It described an actor who would wear a mask. And on that mask, it would be painted something different than who they really are. It's a false face. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. 
To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, today you began to reveal a very important principle from 1 Peter chapter 2. Yes, Dave, indeed, we've begun to see that before the Word can work in us so that we grow in respect to salvation, we need to confess sin. Now, certainly that's obvious in salvation. There needs to be repentance and then faith in Jesus Christ. But here, for believers, we need to come to the Word of God with clean hearts and hands. We need to set aside sin, confessing, knowing that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the Spirit of God can take the Word of God in a child of God who has a heart that is right before the living God. So with this in mind, we've just began to touch this wonderful passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. So stay with us for our next edition of Equipping the Saints. As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you're receiving spiritual benefit from Equipping the Saints, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift today? Every gift makes a difference. No gift is too small, and every dollar is put right back into the ministry. To send a gift to Equipping the Saints, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to donate online, our web address is etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again next time, right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints.